I have called this presentation Channels. Actually, it wasn't. I wasn't the one that really originally named it. They already had a name for this presentation. A gentleman that used to work with Little Light a long time ago had a presentation that I found on some hard drive that was laying around, and I started going through it. And I said, hmm, this is really interesting stuff. And since then, I have almost completely changed the whole thing. Um, Same idea, different pieces of information. But um, what is a channel? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word channel? Yeah, TV. And if and depending on your age group, um, you know, if you're, I don't know, probably younger than 25, you, you may not have ever really used a remote control for anything, uh, unless it's your phone. But a long time ago, we used to have these boxes, right, with television, they're called televisions, and they had these dials on them that you would change the channel. And that evolved into, you know, we got, they got fancier, you got a remote, and you would change the channel, right? How many of you know that the word channel is actually much older than the television? A few of you, yeah. And we're going to talk about that today, what that, where that comes from. You know, a television is really evolving these days. We, we think of the, the thing that stayed in your living room and you watched it maybe in the evening and that's what you got your news on and those, all those types of things. But anymore, I think that is much more broadly expanded. For example, if you reach into your pocket, guess what you have? You have a television, right? You can access just about anything from anywhere in the world at any time of day, right? Full, unfettered access to essentially a television in your pocket. And as this evolves, we have to think, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Well, before we get to that, I want to make it clear that we are not uh, haters of technology. Uh, We make things for people to watch. We use technology to do it. We think technology does some very wonderful things. In fact, if you think, um, for example, the many ministries that exist today, one of them that comes to my mind is AWR. What do they use? They use the technology of radio. What are they doing? They're beaming the three angels' messages into places where you and I cannot go. Right? And they are reaching people with the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. And there are many ministries that, that do that all over the world. They use technology to reach people here and there and everywhere. And they, they spread God's word much faster. Uh, there's also the idea that um, in medical science, you think of some of the surgeries that are able to be done today that could not be done 100 years ago that either save people's life or better enhance their life, right? Um, I know my mother had a surgery many, many years ago called radial keratotomy. Now, today, the equivalent is what's called Lasix. And she had very poor eyesight growing up. By the time she was seven, she was wearing these thick glasses, couldn't see more than about a foot from her face. And she had a surgery, 
it's using technology, you know, like now they come in with a laser and they make all these cuts and everything and, and the eye and you get done and you can see again. It's amazing, right? So technology can do many wonderful things for us. So we're not down on technology. But the question is, how do we use it? And how is it being used today? Let's go, if you have your Bibles, and I have mine, but I left it down here, so hopefully the AV guys won't hate me too much as I walk down the stage. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and I'd like to turn to verses 1 through 5 this morning. We're going to read this story, which I hope is familiar to you, and we're going to learn some things this morning out of God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, or, yeah, the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if my memory serves me, and you have a King James Version, it says the serpent was more subtle, right? It doesn't say cunning. It says subtle. This is a very, very interesting word. The word subtle means crafty, okay? The craft is what people in the occult use as a term to describe what it is that they do, okay? This word, if you trace this word crafty all the way back, etymologically it can be traced to a pre-Indo-European word that means to turn, okay? And this is in the context of a seafaring vessel, okay? How many have ever flown before? All right, quite a few of you. How many of you have ever gone on a cruise? Okay, a few, not, not quite as many. So you know that the pilot, whoever is navigating that ship or that plane, has to chart a course, right? And when they chart that course, what happens if they alter that course by one degree? Will they get where it is that they need to go? No, they won't, Right? And this is exactly the idea that's being conveyed here, and exactly what Satan would like to do to each one of us. He would like to turn you just enough so that when you start out, you appear to be going the right direction. But in the end, you never reach the destination that God had in mind. Okay? It's subtle. I think it's interesting that Satan used the serpent which is essentially, in this case, a medium. It is a channel, right? What does a channel do? It is, uh, if you look at the Oxford Dictionary definition, it is used uh, for the passage of information. That's what a channel does. It passes information. You see, lies need a disguise. 
You know why that is? Because they do not hold under the scrutiny of the truth. So they need a distraction. They need something to divert the mind so that the mind cannot discern what's going on. If we turn back, maybe a page or so in our Bible, to Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to look at another couple of verses. Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. It says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. As far as I can tell in God's word, this is the first thing that he asked them not to do. And what was the consequence? Death. You know, death has always been the consequence for sin. Echoing the concept that Paul later on puts in terms, the wages of sin is death, right? God means what he says. And so to help us understand this topic a little bit better, before we get into all of the history and all that, we need to understand the topic of death. And so I'm going to go over some scriptures with you this morning so that we can understand what happens when we die. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Here we have what you might call a bit of an equation for life, right? You have two elements, the dust of the ground and the breath of life. And when you combine those things, you get... A living soul. So if you remove the breath of life, what do you no longer have? You no longer have a living soul. Many cultures believe that the soul is immortal. The Bible only credits immortality to one being. It tells us this in 1 Timothy 6.16. It says, who only has immortality? And the who is God, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, which no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and glory and power everlasting. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that we seek for immortality. You don't seek for something if you already have it, right? And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53, it says that we put on immortality. You don't put on something if you already have it, right? Ezekiel 18.4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son. The soul that sins, what happens to it? It dies, right? The Bible is very clear. When we sin, we die. We do not continue to live somewhere else. We are mortals. If you look up the word mortal in a dictionary, it means subject to death. Ecclesiastes 9.5, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That's right. Neither have they any more a reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. So if they don't know anything, how much information could they possibly pass 
to you or I? None, right? They could not pass any information. And I think this verse is particularly fascinating because it gives us a clue into the purpose of spiritualism. Okay? What was the... Well, that purpose is to convey information. What was the serpent trying to get Eve to see? God is withholding information. What is the purpose of a channel? The passage of information. Psalm 6 verse 5 says, For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? Nobody. Psalm 115 and verse 17. The dead praise not the Lord, nor any that go down into silence. Okay? So there's no praise. In another verse, it tells us that all our plans perish. There's no praise. There's no planning. Who wrote many of these psalms? David, right? King David. uh, You would think if anybody was going to be praising the Lord after they died, you would think King David would be among them, right? But the Bible tells us where David is today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 34 says, For David is not ascended into the heavens... But he saith himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. So, David is not ascended into the heavens, which means he can only be one other place in the grave. Right? The Bible issues some very strong warnings against speaking with the dead. The first one we will look at is found in Isaiah chapter 8, if you want to turn with me. Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 19 and 20. One more page turn for me, here we go. It says this, you know what? Did I say, yeah, 19 and 20. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Here the Bible tells us that it's ludicrous to go and seek wisdom from the dead when you can go directly to God. What possible information could they have that's better than the information that God has? Right? None. Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 14, also has some strong warnings. If you want to turn there briefly with me this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll look at 10 through 14. These are some of the strongest words in Scripture. Here we go. Okay, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 14 says this. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, who one or one who calls up the dead. 
for all. How many does all include? All. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. They got an eviction notice because of these practices. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. God says, you need to get your information from me. Not from the dead, not from a sorcerer, not from witches, not from any other source. You get your information from me and me alone. Second Kings chapter 21 also has a warning if we look at that. Second Kings chapter 21 and verse 6. If you know your Bible history, you may know that this is talking about Manasseh. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 6 said, Also he, that's Manasseh, made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. And then it says something I would never want to have written about me. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. God did not look upon these practices favorably. So, if the dead are not speaking to us, the question is, who is? We find an answer in the book of Revelation, chapter 16. If you turn to chapter 16 and you read verse 14, you'll find these words. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Spiritualism is essentially a counterfeit for prophecy. I do not know of a biblical example where someone communicating with the dead ever turned out good. This is one reason we should never engage in one of these practices. Number two, you are being put, if you choose to engage in this kind of an activity, you are being put in a position where it will be very difficult to withstand. And why is that? Well, when people participate in these, kind of, in these type of communicative events, what they're doing is putting themselves in a position where the technique that's being employed is very similar to what we talked about last night. Similar technique as advertisers use. A positive emotion is attached to every single one of those people that they're trying to call up, Right? They have good memories of them. They would like to see them again. All that well and swell of emotion come forward. And then you're making decisions not based on God's word, 
but based on how you feel. And you're putting yourself on dangerous ground. So what in the world does that have to do with media, right? We have to bring it back to the topic at hand. How many of you like history? A few of you, okay. Hopefully by the end, a few more. I loved history in school. I used to come home every day in 7th and 8th grade and tell my mom everything that I learned in history class. And she said, you're going to be a history teacher someday. Not exactly true, but what do we know about history? If you do not learn from history, what do the old sayings say? Those who do not learn from history, they're doomed to repeat it or bound to repeat it, one version says. We don't want to be those people who are doomed or bound to repeat history in a negative way. Around the late 1870s, science started seeing many breakthroughs in many technologies that we either still use today or are built on those technologies. And um, they started to develop things like telephones, which have changed quite a bit, and obviously those are not to scale. Televisions. Radios. I like the way this one says, am I a luxury? Um, Audio recorders. Again, not to scale. The Tascam is small enough to fit in my pocket uh, where the other is not. Who were the inventors of these technologies? More importantly than that, what did they believe? And even more importantly than that, what were they trying to achieve with the use of these technologies? Excuse me, let's start with television. Two very influential inventors uh, in television. One of them was named Sir William Crookes, who's an Englishman. Another, John Logie Baird, who was a Scotsman. Now, they lived in a bit different time periods. Um, Crookes, mostly 1800s. John Logie Baird, he did some work into the 1920s. We'll start with Crookes, though. He invented the cathode ray tube. How many of you have heard of a cathode ray tube? Okay, a few of you. Now, if you're maybe unsure whether you've heard of a cathode ray tube or not, how many of you have ever heard of a CRT monitor? Okay, a few. Well, the CRT in the monitor stands for cathode ray tube. Now, we don't use those by and large anymore. We've pretty much gotten rid of most of those kind of televisions and monitors out of our homes, and everybody's moving toward LED technology. It's much more efficient. Um, It doesn't have to warm up. A long time ago, they used to have a turn of television on, and it had to warm up the tubes inside. So he invented that. He also invented something called the radiometer, and he discovered the element thallium. Okay? Well, Crookes had a brother named Philip. Philip died in 1867. And um, after his brother died, there was a friend of his that invited him to a seance so that he could communicate with his deceased brother. And he said, okay, I'll go. Let's, Let's check it out. And this is what he wrote about that encounter. And I'm going to include all these quotes. I may not read them all verbatim. I may just read the highlights for the sake of time. But he basically said, after going to a seance, this idea 
came to me as a result of some experiences at a seance. What he's talking about is scientific ideas. Ideas for him to invent things. Ideas for technology. And um, after attending many of these seances, he started doing some investigations in his own home. The reason was because you have to understand the Victorian um, scientific mind. These were a bunch of guys who were moving away from Christianity. They did not believe that any of this spiritualistic activity that was going on did not have a scientific explanation. They said it has to have a scientific explanation, and we're going to find it. All right? they, they believed in, in reason and science, and it, it all has to be explainable. So, the scientific community of the day commissioned him, essentially, to start to study mediums, and he did it in his own home. He was one of the most revered scientists of his time, and um, you know he was head of many organizations and societies and things like that. And some of his conclusions didn't set well with his peers. He said this, No incident in my scientific career is more widely known than the part I took many years ago in certain psychic researches. And his conclusion, or at least part of his conclusion, was that there exists a force exercised by intelligence differing from ordinary intelligence common to mortals. Basically, the bottom line is, I've studied these mediums in my home. One of them was actually Kate Fox, who is one of the Fox sisters, if you know anything about spiritualistic history in America. Um, And he said, I can't find a scientific explanation. There's something else going on here that I cannot explain. And so he was ridiculed heavily by his peers. And had he not had such a sterling reputation, it would have ruined his career, and you may have never heard of him. He was accused of having poor eyesight. He was accused of being old. He was accused of all kinds of things just because they didn't agree with his conclusions. Twenty years later, he hadn't changed his mind on the subject, and he said, it is quite true a connection has been set up between this world and the next. Totally convinced. What was it that inspired him to do all this research, though? Communicating with the dead. I think it's interesting. Um, H.P. Blavatsky, I'll talk a little bit about her in a second, she commented about Crookes' work in chemistry. Now, if you don't know anything about H.P. Blavatsky, I'll just I'll give you a, a brief overview. Essentially, she is a Satanist. Okay? That's putting it in not outstretched or far-reaching terms. She's a Satanist. She founded an organization called the Theosophical Society, and has, she was a very prolific writer, one of the most prolific writers in, in history as far as uh, uh, female writers go. And she said, as she looked at his work in chemistry, she said, this resembles ancient wisdom. And she said that his work in chemistry validated theosophical beliefs. And just to give you an idea of what this lady believes, 
Um, I have included a quote from a book called The Secret Doctrine. Okay? And this comes from page 79. She says, The devil is now called darkness by the church, whereas in the Bible he is called the Son of God, the bright star of the early morning, Lucifer. There is a whole philosophy of dogmatic craft in the reason why the first archangel who sprang from the depths of chaos was called Lux, the luminous sun of the morning, or Manvantric Dawn. And then she says this shocking statement. He was transformed by the church into Lucifer or Satan because he is higher and older than Jehovah and had to be sacrificed to the new dogma. Now this is the lady that's saying all this stuff that Crooks is doing, good stuff. Okay? John Logie Baird, a very influential inventor in as far as television goes. He was more of a mechanical means kind of guy versus electrical. Uh, he was a broadcast television pioneer. Really helped get that going. Just share some quotes about some people who commented on him. It says he was attending um, spiritualist seances when he was developing Noctivision or the television, as it was called then. And he said, these dead inventors passed messages to him. And you know what they were promising to do? Help him in his work. Now, I have a, you need to think about this question for a little bit. If the dead don't know anything, and the Bible is true, that these are the demons, why do they want to help him develop these technologies. What's in it for them? Think about that. Um, One author says that he uh, reported he had successfully contacted the deceased Edison through a medium. What about the telephone? Well, one of these guys you've probably heard of, Alexander Graham Bell. How many of you have heard of Alexander Graham Bell? Lots of hands. How many of you have heard of Thomas Watson? Not as many hands. But if you recall your history, Thomas Watson was Bell's assistant and uh, really helped in the invention of the telephone. Well, Alexander Graham Bell was sent a letter. And you can look this up at the Library of Congress. I had the, I had the letter, and I think I lost it. Um, so I'll have to get it again. But he was sent a letter by his Aunt Mabel. And... She said, you know, there's this guy, Sir William Crooks, and he's doing a lot of interesting things I think you want to take a look at in the realm of spiritualism. And so he started to take a look at it. He also signed a pact with his brother to the effect that whoever died first would attempt to make contact with the other one through what they called a more reliable channel than the seance medium. Now, why would they say that? Well, even though Alexander Graham Bell dabbled in spiritualism, he was not fully convinced of the phenomenon, and basically the interest that he had fell by the wayside. But this pact was prompted by his brother's wife. Her name was Melly, and she started going to seances because they lost a one-year-old child to tuberculosis. 
And so in her grief, in her attempt to still reach out to and communicate to her son, she went to these seances to try to communicate with him. He said this, I well remember how often in the stillness of the night I've had little seances all by myself in the half hope, half fear of receiving some communication. But Thomas Watson, uh, he was a lot more serious about spiritualism than Bell was. And it really manifested itself in the work that he was doing. One author writes that he experimented with the telephone as an aid to spiritual communication. What are they trying to do? This would be a great device to talk to the other side. Another author writes that Watson attended nightly seances and apparently made many successful connections to the dead. Once again, we see the seance as a powerful tool to entice people. Um, We know from history that his spiritualist beliefs colored his views of science and vice versa. And uh, what he was trying to do is find, you know, like every other scientist, we need to find some logical reason for all of this, uh, for what they called the highly illogical wrapping and table tilting of the seance circle. So if you don't know much about seances, especially during Victorian England times, they would get around these tables and uh, there would be a seance medium trying to communicate with the dead. And oftentimes when they would do that, the table that they were all gathered around would start moving. Sometimes it would levitate, rock back and forth. And, you know, it was pretty bizarre. I mean, it's an interesting thing for people to see as kind of entertainment, right? Well, you go to the seance and you, you find these bizarre things happening. Or there was what was called rapping. Okay? You would hear noises, tapping noises in the room uh, from all kinds of different angles. Another author writes that Watson secretly sought out the advice of a medium at a critical juncture in Bell's experiments. So you can see where he's going for his advice. It's not to God. And what are they trying to do? They're hoping that they'll give the telephone a boost, right, to develop this technology. What about radio? Two inventors particularly influential, Sir Oliver Lodge and Marconi. I won't try to butcher his first name. Lodge was a British physicist. He held patents for many uh, wireless uh, patents. He was absolutely fascinated with spiritualism. One event that really affected him, though, was the death of his son named Raymond. I believe Raymond served in World War I, and he died at about age 21. And after that death, Lodge, of course, missing his son Raymond, started going to seances to communicate with his deceased son. And so, uh, after going to many of these, he wrote a book. And the book is entitled Raymond. And in this book, he tells about the different things that Raymond told him. In one particular section, uh, Raymond tells him about heaven. And it's interesting what Raymond, Raymond says about heaven because he had a couple of vices. 
And heaven happened to include cigars and whiskey sodas, two things that Sir Oliver Lodge enjoyed. Marconi pioneered long-distance radio transmission. He actually won the Nobel Peace Prize in physics for his achievements. And one author says this, Crooks, Bell, Marconi, and others firmly believed in the power of seances. And they went so far as to attempt, at least as Marconi, direct communication with spirits using radio signals. Another one says he believed in spiritualism, the continuation of life after death, the ability to communicate with those in spirit, and that those messages could affect change when you sent them out. And he spent his last years, we're told, trying to perfect some device that would establish a permanent connection between this world and the next. What about audio equipment? Well, let's talk about this guy, Thomas Edison. Very interesting, prolific inventor, a scientist that really needs no introduction. I'm sure he's in all of your history books in school. But what people don't know is that Edison was a member of the Theosophical Society, just like William Crookes. And somebody who knew him um, wrote this about him. It said, A gentleman of Port Huron, Michigan, writing to Mr. Eggleston of New York, states as follows, I have known Thomas Edison from a boy and all his father's family. His parents were good spiritualists, and a son, William Pitt Edison, was a pronounced believer in the phenomenon. And I also understand that Thomas is also a believer in spirit return and mediumship, but that he does not talk upon the subject except to persons he is familiar with. So, very hush-hush about what he believed, very careful who he talked to. And that's why you don't find it in all of these history books talking about all the many things that he invented and, and so on and so forth. Another person said that he believed that an electronic device could be built to communicate with the dead. In fact, um, I have PDF scans from Scientific American, I think it's the 1920s issue, where they kind of lay out what Edison's plan was. They say that he was working on a device and, you know, what it was supposed to do, although he left behind no actual plans when he died, and so they don't really know what it is that he was building or attempting to build. And um, so that last quote, though, has a very interesting author. His, it was written by a man named Peter Aykroyd. Peter Aykroyd is the father of the famous Canadian actor named Dan Aykroyd. How many of you have heard of Dan Aykroyd? Okay. Um, so Peter Aykroyd wrote a book called A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Essentially, that's what Thomas Edison was. He was a ghostbuster. This book was about his family's history with spiritualism, which goes back into the mid-1800s. 
their family, the Ackroyd family, had their own medium that they would sit down with after dinner in the evenings around the table um, pretty much every night and have seances. And this medium would tell them all kinds of things. What's interesting to me is that um, they were almost always right about the events. They would tell them, for example, there's going to be an earthquake in Chile in, you know, um, three weeks. And there was an earthquake in Chile. But it was usually like two weeks or four weeks. Never quite right on the timing, but right about many events. Dan Aykroyd says this, am I a trance medium? No. Have I got a gift psychically? Absolutely not. But I believe in the survival of consciousness after death. He says, I've always been a big fan of science fiction and of the worlds of the spiritual and the mystic. He also said, American Society for Psychical Research journals were all around the house when I was a kid. Not exactly uh, light reading for a child. My great-grandfather, Sam Aykroyd, was a dentist in Kensington, Ontario. He was an Edwardian spiritualist researcher who was very interested in what was going on in the invisible world, the survival of the consciousness, precipitated paintings, mediumship, and trans-channeling. And he says flatly, I am a spiritualist, a proud wearer of the spiritualist badge. So, when he makes a movie like Ghostbusters, which he wrote the script for, at least co-wrote, and he stars in the film, you have to realize he's not just making a movie. He is actually sharing his beliefs with you on screen so that you might share those beliefs as well. But this goes back further than the film. Books talked about these kinds of ideas, right? Charles Dickens, is, Charles Dickens is famous for a particular book, right? A Christmas Story. And if you know anything about the Christmas Story, there's three characters in there that are central to the story. There's the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future, right? They were talking about those things then. Um, Sherlock Holmes Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was the one who wrote the Sherlock Holmes series. He was a spiritualist as well. And with Crooks and Lodge, he was a member of the Ghost Club and many other organizations. He was a very ardent spiritualist. In fact, he wrote an entire book on the history of spiritualism. You can look it up online. There's a free PDF that you can read if you want to. And as you look at this, we have a tendency to compartmentalize history. This happened over here, and this happened over here, and this happened over here. Not realizing that many of these things that we talk about happened simultaneously. All right? So, in the early, well, around 1820, something happened in America. It was called America's Second Great Awakening. There was a Protestant movement that started sweeping through the country Many people were turning to God. They were being converted. They were getting ready for the second coming. And this lasted for over 20 years. There were tent meetings all around the country. There were many revivalist preachers 
Protestantism was just swelling. In fact, it was such an event that was notable that Peter Ackroyd mentions the event in his book. And he says, you know, there was all this spiritualist activity that was happening in America, and much of it started in the same location in New York, miles from each other, the Fox sisters' home, right? The start of Mormonism, right? The Millerite movement. In fact, that part of the country was called the Burned Over District. They called it that because, as one preacher of the day put it, there were, you could not go to a home that had not heard the name of Jesus. Everybody had been told. Everybody had been heard. So they said, there's no more, no more territory left to burn. The work has all been done, at least in that part of the country. And so, what else, um, what else do you have going on later, a little bit later, mid-1800s? Second Great Awakening ends, about 1844. And then there is this event for the Millerites called the Great Disappointment. It was two years later, in 1846, that the Fox sisters came on the scene. I don't think that is coincidental. I think Satan understands timing very well. And all these people that were disappointed, there were thousands. In fact, those that still held to the teachings of Miller were few. Everybody else kind of fell by the wayside. You couldn't take the bitterness. And the devil, what does he do? They were waiting for the single greatest audiovisual event in human history. And he took advantage of that. He said, you want to see something? I got something you can see. You can experience with your senses. Up pops spiritualism. Right? If you go to... um, This continued for a long time. If you go to Gettysburg, where uh, Civil War battles were fought, because this, all this was happening around that time, a little bit later in history. But do you know you can get ghost tours, even today? Ghost tours in Gettysburg. Um, it affected much of life. The Bible says in Isaiah 8 and 19, we referenced this earlier, and when they shall say to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek their God? That's the question. Why would you go to them? Why not go to the God? For the living, to the dead? Here is the plaque that's at the Fox Sisters' home today. It can be a bit hard to read, so I'll read it for you. It says, Spiritualists of the World in Commemoration of the Advent of Modern Spiritualism at Hydesville, New York, March 31, 1848, and in tribute to the mediumship, the rock iron, which forever stands, which demonstrable spiritualism forever stands. There is no death. There are no dead. That's the legacy that they want to leave behind, the idea that they want to leave behind. They continued uh, at their home. This all started with an event where they heard some rapping in their home. Taps in the walls. And they 
identified this being as Mr. Slipfoot. They would communicate with it. He get answers. They developed a system, ask questions, get answers. It became a phenomenon. It was from these three girls that spiritualism started to grow in this country. It grew so wide that by the end of the 1800s, one in three people in America would identify as a spiritualist. And you think, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. It's a Christian nation. What's going on? Why is that number so high? It's because they did not dissociate spiritualist beliefs from Christian beliefs. They identified as both. America was losing the truth about what happens when you die. This being that they communicated with, um, it started to grow. They attracted neighbors, and they would do these little uh, events and get answers for people. And eventually, they caught a lot of attention. Harry Houdini studied them and, and all kinds of other people. And the community of the day wanted to expose them as frauds. In fact, if you look in history today, you, everything you read will suggest they're frauds. They, you know, they had a system worked out. They were cracking their knuckles and toes and making all these sounds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, um, of course, one thing that didn't help is one of the sisters... In the year 1888, she went to the press, and for a good sum of money during that time, she decided to tell her side of the story, which included, it was all fake, it was a fraud, we made it up, this is how we did it, etc., etc. Well, once you do that, your credibility is just gone, right? The following year, about one year later, she came back to the press, and she wanted to retract her story. She says, you know, it really was all real. The problem was she was having a, a feud with her sisters, and she wanted to get back at them. But at that point, who's going to listen? Nobody. It's exactly like the devil. Raise somebody up, use them to start something, and then crush them. So that after that point, nobody thinks it's real. It all goes away. But he manages to start something that hasn't been contained. 1 Timothy 4, 1, our scripture reading says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And what do you test them against? You have to test them against the word of God. Media is a vehicle. It's a very powerful tool, right? It's an educational tool. But different people have different ideas on how it can be used. The problem is we get lulled into what I will call a fatal security. Because when you consume lots of immorality, do you know what happens to your mind? Your conscience becomes dulled to sin. 
We have a term for it called desensitization, right? When your mind is dulled to sin, that leads to another consequence. You no longer see your need of Jesus. That is an extremely dangerous place to be. Despite the fact that a lot of these devices can be used for good, the truth is the majority of what's being pumped out into the world today has nothing to do with the gospel. Right? And sadly, a lot of people will succumb to the deceptive theology that is pumped out through all of these channels. I'm going to share with you, as I start to wrap this up, some quotes from a gentleman who died, I think, in 1992. His name is Anton LaVey. If you've not heard of him, he is credited as being the founder of the Church of Satan in the United States. I think it's very fascinating what he has to say about, uh, in this case, television. But as you know, we can apply that more broadly. There are television sets in every home, every restaurant, every hotel room, and every shopping mall. Does that sound like today? It does. He died in 1992. It's almost prophetic. Now they're even small enough to carry in your pocket, like electronic rosaries. Now what he was referring to at the time were these Sony Walkman things that you could put in your pocket. Of course, now we can do that. It's an unquestioned part of everyday life, kneeling before the cathode ray god with our TV guide concordance in hand. We maintain the illusion of choice by flipping channels, chapters, and verses. He also said, the birth of TV was a magical event, foreshadowing its satanic significance. The first commercial broadcast was aired on Walpurgis Nacht, April 30th, 1939, at the New York World's Fair. Since then, TV's infiltration has been so gradual, so complete, that no one even noticed. People don't need to go to church anymore. They get their morality plays on television. I hope you are not getting your morality from television. It is full of immorality. But what does he mean by magical event? He chose those words purposefully. Well, Purgisnacht is the second most sacred day in paganism. It's a holiday. The only other day being more sacred to a pagan is Halloween. Six months apart. From his book, The Devil's Notebook, the TV set, or satanic family altar, has grown more elaborate since the early 50s, from tiny fuzzy screens to huge entertainment centers, covering entire walls with several TV monitors. What started as an innocent respite from everyday life has become, in itself, a replacement for real life for millions, a major religion of the masses. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? we? We get wrapped up in these things and we live vicariously through other people. Uh, Scotty, who I work with, used to work in reality TV with his brother Tom. And guess what? It's not really that much reality. 
The Bible says in Matthew 24, 24, this is talking about the second coming, right? It's talking about end-time events. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. There are times ahead of us where spiritualism is going to only increase. And it will be very difficult if you do not have a solid foundation. You need to know what the truth of the Bible is in order to be able to withstand these deceptions. One other way that I put this scripture as I'm explaining it is in the last days, you are going to see and hear things that are purposely designed to mislead you. What's the big picture? Television, media, video games, social media, whatever you want to say, right? Loop it all into the same bunch. This is the fastest way to spread error. The fastest. And if you want to fill your mind with the right messages, you have to make sure that you're getting them from the right source. The purpose in Eden of using a medium was to discredit God's word. And the purpose of spiritualism is the same. It's to discredit God's word. That's one of the reasons we need to be very careful what we allow into our minds. Eve lived thousands of years ago. She was a perfectly made human being. She had never been lied to. She had better reasoning capabilities than probably everybody in this room put together. She was still deceived. And the same one that deceived her has been practicing for 6,000 years. He deceived a third of the angelic host. We have to be very careful to think that we are so wise to withstand that. You have a Bible, and God provided it, because this is the only way you will not be deceived. 